I was having a text discussion with a friend this week, which revolved around us having to trust God for a practical thing in our children's lives. And I texted this. Can you hear me right at the back? Can you hear me at the back? That's not what I texted. What I texted was this. Father works everything for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Good and perfect gifts come from him, expecting good news. And my friend had good news. The thing she hoped for happened. When she told me, I messaged, this is wonderful, in brackets, and not completely surprising. I'm a great believer in things working for good. God's got form. Then a half-joking, I said, maybe I'll talk on this on Sunday. And so here I am. So what's interesting, though, is that um, although Nigel and I, it's my husband, Nigel and I have had many, many challenges in our lives together, 40 years next year, um, just as I suspect you all have, I've grown to believe that God, we can trust him to take care of us in all things at all times. So where does that trust come from? Because of some childhood things that I experienced, I'm not naturally a trusting person. People can and do let you down, even if their intentions are good. So I was thinking about how have I come to a place of trusting God when my start in life didn't really set me up to be a trusting person. So the dictionary defines trust like this, a firm belief in the reliability, truth or ability of someone or something. And then that's when it all made total sense to me. I didn't learn to trust God because I'm a trusting person, but because he is a trustworthy one. Notice the words firm belief in the definition. Despite God being trustworthy, if we don't believe it, he might as well not be. My beliefs about God and myself, they place boundaries on my ability to live a healthy, trusting life. And if you want to, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to say a word. And I want you to hang on to the first thought that that word um, brings up. Don't try and rationalise it or explain it away. So just sit with the word for a second. And that word is Father. So that word or image that came to mind, you can open your eyes now because I'll feel really weird if you're sat there with your eyes shut. The word or image that came to mind says a lot about where we are in our relationship with God at this moment. Tozia said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And to illustrate this, I want to have a look at the parable of the talents. This is Matthew 25 version. So again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two and another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold and see, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In brackets, that sounds like not a good thing for me. In brackets, come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I think this story shows that what we believe about God determines our actions. Some people believe that our behaviour is determined by our desires. So like, I want that apple, I'm going to pick it. It's been proven that our behaviour is more usually determined by our understanding or our beliefs. I know that apple will be sweet and tasty, therefore I'm going to pick it. If I didn't believe the apple was sweet and tasty, I wouldn't bother picking it. That's why you'd never find me picking celery. (laughs) So core beliefs are those long-standing views that we hold about ourselves, other people, the world, the future, and for the purposes of this talk of God. They usually form during childhood or other important times in our lives. They serve us as a sort of guide to life. They tell us how things are. When I thought that, I thought, no, they don't. Actually, they tell us how we think things are, how we believe things are. I hear people say, I just say it as it is. And I'm like, no, you just say it as you see it. It's a very important distinction. We filter our experiences according to our beliefs. In a way, it's how we make sense of the world. I was talking to a senior pastor at the retreats recently, and she was telling me about a woman who'd recently left their church and in like a flurry of skirts because she was really, really offended. Um, and the pastor couldn't think for the life of her what she'd done to this woman, racking her brains. She eventually managed to um, meet up with her for a coffee. And she said to her, whatever her name was, Jane, you know, tell me what happened, what's gone wrong? You know, why have you left? What's happened? And the lady said to her that um, the reason she'd left was because one Sunday morning, the pastor looked at her with absolute hatred in her eyes. And so the woman got terribly offended, left and never came back. So I was listening to the pastor trying to understand, um, she was trying to understand the person's reaction. And we realised that the issue, of course, was the belief in some way that that woman was holding, that the pastor doesn't like me. The truth was she was busy and distracted. It was a Sunday morning. You guys have probably done this with people. (laughs) Well, not Mandy, she's too nice. (laughs) More than one occasion. Um, so she was busy and distracted and she wasn't even aware that she was looking at that lady she was kind of looking through her it was the lady's belief about her pastor she hates me and herself I'm hateful that caused the rift it's the same with our beliefs about God in the parable the third man believed that the master was a hard man the bible doesn't tell us but I think the other two had a totally different opinion of the master They were freer to risk and to take chances. The third man acted from fear. He hid his bag rather than losing it and facing the anger of the master. Fear paralysed him, and it will always do that. Fear is the absence of the revelation of love, as we know that perfect love casts out all fear. 
When the revelation of divine love, deeply rooted in the knowledge of God's goodness fills us, fear has to get lost. Paul prays this in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. We'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's quite incredible. That really is incredible. Any fear that we have is rooted in an area that's not filled with that love. It's not filled with the knowledge of, of the Father's love and how, how special we are to him. It erodes our trust because our belief won't allow us to move from fear to trust, our wrong belief. Fear of losing a job. Well, God doesn't care about my well-being. Fear of sickness. God doesn't love me enough to care about my health. Fear of lack. God can't or won't bless my finances. A few years ago at the NLC, as was, 1,300 people were belting out the words, I'd do anything, I'd go anywhere for you, God. They were actually 1,299 because I couldn't sing it. I wouldn't sing it, and I told myself it's because I was a woman of integrity and I wouldn't ever sing anything that I couldn't fully mean. I was rather proud of myself. I should have known there was a problem right there. So, but pretty soon God showed me that I wasn't a woman full of integrity. I was a woman full of fear. Fear that God would ask me to do something that I didn't actually want to do. There was part of my heart that wasn't filled with the revelation of God's goodness. I didn't trust him to do what was best for me. But Philippians 2.13 reminds us that God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I could quote the Bible, I could quote the scriptures, but it wasn't life to me. I hadn't had that revelation of the goodness of Father in that area. We need to be rooted and grounded in the revelation of his love in our hearts and not just knowing the Bible verses in our heads. We need an encounter with his love. We need to hear the words of love spoken over us and into us. When we encounter God's love by his Holy Spirit, the truth of goodness towards us really sinks in. We're set up to succeed. We're set up to trust God and take risks with the things that he's given us. I heard someone say once that if you're bored with your Christian life, then you're doing it wrong. And I wondered about the disciples. Were they ever bored? Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been around Jesus when he was doing his miracles? One of the exercises that we do at the retreats is imaginative reading of a Bible story. So let's just look at the feeding of the 5,000. I was just thinking about this. Can you imagine sitting around, listening to Jesus talking, feeling a little bit smug because you're best mates with the visiting speaker? And you know that once he sends everybody home to get their tea, you're going to hang out with him. He might take you fishing. Maybe we'd have a barbecue on the beach. What a lovely thought. Um, then shock and horror. Instead of sending the 5,000 people away to get a sandwich for their tea, he suggests that I feed them. Something in me would be like, Ooh. So they looked at their meagre supplies, and I can see them kind of shrugging and looking at each other. Who's got any ideas? Who's, who's normally got the good ideas? Anyone? So let's read it, just this small verse. So Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. 
Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. One wife, a couple of kids, probably about 20,000 people. Can we put ourselves in that place? What's interesting to me is that it wasn't the first miracle the disciples had seen. You'd already seen them, seen him feeding the 4,000. Yet many still questioned when Jesus said, you give them something to eat. It seems they should have gone, ah, okay, we've seen this before. Let's do that thing again. That was really cool. And they got to take loads home, seven baskets the previous time. Instead, they looked at their lack instead of Jesus' abundance. And I think sometimes we can be like that. We concentrate on what we don't have rather than on the good things that Jesus has given us or already done in our lives. Listen to these two Bible verses. Check inside to see if you really believe them. Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then know you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And what about this one, James 1.17? This is in the Amplified. Every good gift and perfect, and in brackets, free and full and large gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of all. Or the one, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I think some of us here today need to hear those words and believe them from God. We've probably all heard the saying, we need to move it from our head to our hearts. Well, I believe it's the other way round. We need to move it from our hearts to our heads. Our thinking should be based on the truth of who God is and who we are that's nestled in our hearts. Proverbs tells us to trust God with all our hearts, not all our minds. We need an encounter with the living God, with the Holy Spirit that will fill our hearts with his truth and his goodness and his care towards us, so we can move out of that place. Psalm 23, 6 in the Living Bible says, Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all my life. I don't know about you, but every time God comes through for us, and me and my family, it adds to my store of trust in him. I've started asking for things that bring me joy rather than things that we need. And each time he comes through, I realise more and more how much he loves me as his precious child. We were away last weekend um, on the Jurassic Coast, and we were a little Airbnb, five minutes from the beach. We went with some friends who were in a caravan down the road. And I was really excited about going to the... I'd never been before, not that I was aware of. And um, I really wanted to find a fossil. It's like, I want to find a fossil. God, I want to find a fossil. I'm going to find a fossil. I got really excited about it. And um, so the first day we're there, I'm walking along like this. Fossil, lovely beach, stone, you know, it's, if you've ever been, it's, oh, it's a charmer, absolutely amazing, these stones and fossils. So I'm 
spending all my time looking at my feet as I'm walking. I'm missing the sea. I'm missing spending time with my husband. I'm missing what, you know, I'm just staring at my feet trying to find a fossil. I didn't find anything. This was uh, the first half a day. So on Charmouth Beach, there's a fossil shop and there's a little fossil museum. So we went into there, obviously surrounded by fossils everywhere you look. Fossils, 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 fossils for sale, fossils to look at, fossils to hold. So I thought, hmm, maybe I wasn't specific enough in my prayer. I mean, look, fossils everywhere. Maybe I should have said, I really want to find my own fossil that I can take home that I don't have to pay for. But I didn't do that. I said, I want a fossil, I want to see a fossil, I want to find a fossil. So when we got to our accommodation um, the early evening, opened the door, walked in, there was a shelf in the accommodation full of fossils that other people, other people had found on the beach that are there for you to look at, or I didn't take any away, but presumably they're just people going to look and put them there. And there were some really, really lovely fossils. So I'm like, I'm surrounded by fossils. Thank you, God. Maybe I haven't, you know, maybe you're trying to tell me that I don't have to have this thing because it's all around me. And but something in my heart was like, I want to find a fossil. And a two-year-old Ellie, I want to find a fossil. So that evening, walking along the beach, shoes off, um, there's some really uh, stony bits at the top. So I, I sat down on a bench to put my shoes back on. And as I looked down, between my feet, was a fossil. With me. We've named him Paul the Fossil. <laughs> Love him. That was Mark Knight. Oh, yeah. Gentle. So that's Paul the Fossil. Now, I was complete. You're going to be distracted by Paul now, aren't you? I'm going to have to fight with Paul. Um, I was completely overwhelmed with joy, gratitude. I could feel Father's smile of delight over me as he gave me something that was a desire of my heart. And the really interesting thing to me is I wasn't looking for it, and I didn't need to hunt for it. And I wasn't um, doing the thing where I was walking along, staring at my feet and missing everything else. I just loved it. Um, he loved giving me the desire of my heart. And it's actually one that I'd seen somewhere and really liked it as well. I, like, I want one like that. Because there were lots of ammonites and things, not on the beach. But and the other lovely thing about that is later in the week, we were in a... A fossil shop where they were um, someone was sitting there with the little tools digging out the fossils and I overheard her say to a customer the weather hasn't been rough enough to bring the fossils in so if anyone's found anything this week they've been really really lucky how much <laughs> yes or really really blessed so God is amazing so what we believe about God is the most important thing about us if we believe that he's good and kind and loving then we'll act and have faith according to that belief. We'll trust him to do good, to keep us safe, take care of us, heal our sicknesses and provide for us. Another beautiful thing is when I was preparing this, I said to Father, oh, I really want Matt to do the song, The Goodness of God. Should I message him? I wasn't really sure he was on until Andrew told me. It might be Ed. Should I message and say, can you do this song? I thought, no, I'm just going to trust that that's the song that's going to come up. And it did. And it, it's like, thank you, that's just another, for me, that's another little brick in my foundation of faith about his goodness, about his care. 
So our circumstances are always trying to teach us something about the nature of God. Nothing is neutral. Everything that happens to us is either positive or negative in the reaction that it brings in us. Delay in answered prayer, sickness, homelessness, brokenness, uncertainty, all those things around us would be trying to tell us something about the nature of God. It would be trying to tell us that God isn't good. We mustn't listen to our circumstances. We'll get the wrong conclusion about God and say like the man in the parable, he's a hard man. We need encounters with God so that he can bring heaven's perspective to our situations. Answered prayers just put another brick in our trust wall. When we encounter Jesus and get the revelation of his love, something happens in our hearts and minds that takes us into a superior understanding of God as a good, good father. Each little brick of answered prayer of God giving us desires of our hearts helps strengthen our faith. Interestingly for me, the more I trust Father's goodness in my life, the less I need to pray. It's like he knows me so well that he generously provides me without having to ask, me having to ask. I'm not making a theology about this because I also believe that there's something really precious about the asking and the receiving. It just keeps us in a, a beautiful place of being rightly positioned with God. But I also know that he very often gives me things without me even asking, not just me, but my family as well. A lot of it's to do, I believe, with my belief that he'll come through. My prayers tend to be more like gratitude now that I've received rather than requests. When we know his heart of love towards us, it's easier to believe that he'll come through. If you look at the feeding of the 5,000 passage, we can see that Jesus didn't ask his father to multiply the bread and the fish. He just thanked him in advance, if you like. I guess some of that has to do with he only does what he sees the father doing, but Jesus had no doubts that his dad would come through for him. And he was fully man, or fully woman, the same as we are. He was fully man, <laughs> same as human, just like us. So when Nigel and I were in the middle of some really tough years, I was spending time with Jesus and asked him to tell me something about myself that I didn't know. Some of you might have heard this before, but I had a picture of a snakes and ladders board. And Jesus told me that I could go up the snakes. I realised that what he was saying is that the bad times that came could take me upwards into his goodness, not downwards into, his dis into my despair. This was an important moment for me, as I know the truth that suffering and hard times really can grow us, and that God can use our hard times to build our trust, reveal his goodness, and grow our faith. I don't want this to sound like some sort of triumphalist everything's all right in the world, we're all fine in our, in our God bubble. That's not my heart. We've had bereavements, we've had financial, excruciating financial problems, we've had sickness, we've had stuff go wrong. This isn't me standing up here saying, well, I'm all right, Jack, you know, the rest of you can get on with it. But what I do know is in those times and through those times, God has taken areas of my life that were um, broken and were in... Uh, beliefs that weren't true and he's taken them and broken them and rebuilt them into the truth about himself and about me. Graham Cook said this, if we didn't have challenges we wouldn't have an opportunity to grow and draw on all the fullness of God that's available to us. 
I do find this comforting, but I prefer to say it like this. If we didn't have challenges, we wouldn't have an opportunity to grow and draw on all the goodness of God that's available to us. I really, really want to be one who um, believes that I'll see the goodness of God in my life. And I am a lot nearer that than I was in the past. I want to be someone who makes myself available to his presence so that I can encounter him and get to know him better. I want to be one who can sing, I'll go anywhere, do anything for you, and trust that God will work that together for my good. And I hope you feel something of that too. Amen.